Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. You are listening to episode number eight of the GateWorld Podcast. Thank you for tuning into this very special episode. This week, we have a very special guest. David Hewlett is with us to talk about The Shrine, the newest episode of Stargate Atlantis that aired last Friday. We were originally going to have Kate Hewlett in too, but she had a last minute engagement. But David and I sure had a lot of fun talking about the episode. We also have some major breaking Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe news. If you've been anywhere near the internet in the last week, you've probably heard it. So we'll spend some time talking about that. And of course, don't miss our continuing coverage of this breaking news over at www.gateworld.net. This episode has been certified lemon-free. The GateWorld podcast starts right now. My name is Darren Sumner, and joining me fresh from Vancouver, British Columbia, is our own David Reed. David, I hear you had a great time, but you missed our conversation with David Hewlett, which is coming up I in a minute. I did. Yes, yes, I'm looking forward to hearing that, too. Uh, yeah, I was at GateCon this weekend, GateCon 08, the family reunion with Richard Dean Anderson. Had an absolutely amazing time, but boy, am I tired. Oh, yeah. I, go to these, I go to these conventions for work, not pleasure, and man... Oh man, was I working? I but think you I had, had fun like, too. Oh yeah, but you know, I think I collectively had like sixteen or seventeen hours of sleep over five days. Yeah. So I'm a rundown battery and and looking to recharge. And hopefully, this podcast will not uh, reflect that. <laughs> we'll let you take the evening off while David Hewlett and I talk about the shrine, and uh, we'll be sure to debrief you about GateCon next week. Sounds good. We have some huge news this week, so let's jump into it. Stargate News. This is without a doubt the biggest news week of the year for the Stargate franchise, and here are your headlines from GateWorld for August 26, 2008. The action started last Thursday when MGM and the Sci-Fi Channel announced that Stargate Atlantis would not continue on into a sixth season. Instead, the series will wrap up in January with the final episode of Season 5, Enemy at the Gate. The cancellation is not based on ratings, however, the studio, the network, and the show's producers have mutually agreed to transition Atlantis into TV and DVD movies. The first movie will be written by executive producers Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mulley, and will air on Sci-Fi in 2009. On Friday, the next bombshell from Sci-Fi and MGM hit the net. Stargate Universe has been greenlit and will begin filming in early 2009 for a summer premiere on the Sci-Fi Channel. The third live-action series may take a somewhat darker tone and focus a bit more on the characters and will be aimed at a younger audience. The show will be space-based, set on board the ancient exploratory ship called the Destiny. As GateWorld has previously reported, the Ancients sent this unmanned vessel to follow up on its sister ship, which began seeding Stargates throughout many galaxies many millions of years ago. The new team from Earth will gain access to the Destiny using the Stargate's ninth chevron, only to find that they can't get home again. Brad Wright and Robert Cooper will produce and showrun the new series, and are looking to cast a name actor as one of the lead roles. Stick with GateWorld in the days ahead for the very latest in the new series development. I was pretty stunned that this news came out as, as early as it did. You know, we knew that Atlantis was not necessarily going to get a sixth season, but usually they announce in October, November, and to have this sort of hit us out of the blue, you were busy at GateCon, and Chad, our assistant editor, was busy in Chicago at the Creation Convention this week, so I had this bombshell news, two of them in a row, 
just hit me, and it's, it's mm-hmm. been a crazy week at the site. Yeah, I know a lot of people have commented, you know, like if Atlantis is dropped for Universe to be picked up, which in some ways kind of has happened, uh, that they wouldn't watch the new show, you know. But I really hope that this transition into the new series and uh, SG-1 Atlantis continuing on in DVD stuff really does work out to everyone's benefit. I think at the very least you can say that Season 5 so far has been extraordinarily strong for Atlantis, and I think the show really is going to go out on top. There's so much to talk about here with what went into the decision to cancel Atlantis while it still had a lot of life left. Still was doing its job, yeah. And then to go ahead and give a green light to Stargate Universe, the third series. We talked with Brad Wright late last week about it and got some of his thoughts. But, you know, this is a huge thing for our favorite series, and there's a lot for you and I to talk about. So we've got a podcast coming up next week. There's no new episode of Atlantis, so... We are definitely going to spend that podcast talking through all of these issues. Atlantis coming to an end, Universe getting going, and uh, we'll spend a lot more time talking about that. In other news, Season 5 of Stargate Atlantis rolls on. We've just published brand new story details for the mid-season two-parter, courtesy of the Sci-Fi Channel. First Contact airs on Friday, September 26th, and we'll guest star Michael Shanks as Daniel Jackson. After a one-week break, The Lost Tribe will air on October 10th, and we've also just published the first photos from that episode. We also have a new spoiler report on episode number 19, Vegas, which will be a significant departure from the typical Atlantis episode. Visit GateWorld now to read about each of these episodes, and as always, beware of spoilers. There's been an awful lot of uh, of breaks this season. I mean, we had one of... A couple of weeks ago, and you and I talked about time travel and alternate realities for that. And now we have a break next week, and then mm-hmm. there's going to be a break between the the season cliffhanger and its resolution episode, uh, The Lost Tribe. What do you think of that? Yeah, sci-fi is kind of on again, off again. On August 8th, there was no new episode, apparently, because Sci-Fi Channel is owned by NBC, and NBC was broadcasting the, Olympics. the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. So that was apparently the reason for that, and... Uh, you know, Sci-Fi Channel every year does something special for Labor Day weekend. So, actually, if you look back at Stargate, Stargate never airs a new episode on Labor Day weekend. Yeah. Yeah, the Olympics was an anomaly then. Yeah. And then the second half of the season coming up, you know, we're going to hit Thanksgiving and we're going to hit Christmas holidays. So there will continue to be little breaks. You know, I really shouldn't complain. I mean, we're essentially getting the one season in one lump, you know? Yep. And then and from moving on until so. the summer, we're going to have a whole lot of fun talking about other subjects in the podcast. Gateworld Features. The show's cast and crew are beginning to sound off in the cancellation news. This weekend, we talked with executive producer Joseph Malozzi, who called the news bittersweet. In addition to shepherding the final episodes of Season 5, Malazzi and writing partner Paul Mooley are currently writing the first Atlantis movie, codenamed Project Twilight. Last week, we also had an extended conversation about the cancellation with Stargate Atlantis co-creator Brad Wright, who offered an explanation about this controversial decision. Here's a clip from that interview. I, I have to say that maybe if we hadn't made Arc and Continuum, things might be a little different, uh, but we did, and it was hugely creatively fulfilling and hugely, and it was very successful. So it's a, if it's a way, if, if, if it provides a, you know, another strong leg for the for the franchise, uh, I'm, I'm all for it. So this is three legs that the Stargate franchise is now standing on with, with the well, universe coming out eventually. Four. Four. I have to count the game. 
Yeah, Stargate Worlds. I mean, Stargate Worlds is going to it's going to be out uh, roughly the same time. Uh, hopefully, if we get you know if we get the uh, green light on Universe soon, we'll, we'll be talking about four Stargate brands, if you will, and I, yeah. and I uh, that's that's good for the franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, riding riding one horse until until it's uh, tired is is not is not going to make it uh, evolve into uh, into movies. And, and you know, SG One owes Atlantis uh, a debt in that sense because uh, it helped revive the franchise for for SG One, and uh, I think that's how it's going to uh, proceed between Atlantis, SG One, and, and and Universe and the game. I mean, there's going to be the uh, well, you know, that, that's going to help, too. GateWorld's 24-minute exclusive interview with Brad Wright is now online. Actor David Hewlett, who will join us in just a few minutes for our main discussion of The Shrine, also gave us his candid opinions on the show's cancellation. This conversation will be available in its entirety on GateWorld.net later this week. Here's a preview just for GateWorld podcast listeners. You know, I think there's, I think there's good and bad. I, mean, I think there's a possibility here for us to to do some really neat stuff outside of the episodic arena. And I know for myself, there's something really nice about the idea of actually having time to learn my lines <laughs> as opposed to, as opposed to spending, you know, every waking hour of the, of, of the season trying to you know, cram those lines into my head. So I think it'll be really fun to see what they, what they come up with. And uh, I really do hope that the, that the films work out because it would, uh, I mean, they just spent so much time developing these characters in this, in this, Franchise, this or the Atlantis portion of the franchise that I yeah. think it's a shame to see it just go. I, you know, but I, I felt the same way. But I, I'm, I'm less surprised that Atlantis is canceled than I was that SG One was canceled. Frankly, really? I was truly shocked when they when they canceled SG One. Atlantis, you know, I understand the numbers on cables aren't as, aren't as good as they used to be, and not just us. I mean, I think everyone in general is having problems with with ratings these days. Okay. Um, but I know, as you know, that the people who watch Atlantis are, are are savvy, savvy, uh, you know, savvy computer bunch that are that are going to be watching this thing either with PVRs or, or you know, through iTunes or whatever that kind of stuff. So, I, I think it's it, it'll be nice to see it sort of grow up into a, uh, you know, into into a, a movie or a series of movies. I mean, that would be ideal. I'd love to come in and do a couple of movies a year. That'd be that yeah. would just be that would be perfect. Tune into the site later this week to listen to the full interview with David. To kick off our coverage of GateCon 2008, last week's big fan convention in Vancouver, British Columbia, we've recently uploaded a photo gallery from the three-day event. Stargate fans gathered to meet and greet such stars as Cliff Simon, Andy Frizzell, Steve Basic, and of course, Richard Dean Anderson. Visit the Stargate Image Gallery now to see more than 350 exclusive photos. You are listening to the GateWorld Podcast. The Main Discussion. Today we're talking about The Shrine, and we're joined by a very special guest, Mr. David Hewlett. You appear in Stargate Atlantis, apparently. You're an actor? <laughs> yeah, allegedly. I've, uh, I've been told that's what they call it. Now, let me just start out this conversation of The Shrine by saying, Damn you, David Hewlett! <laughs> I'm 32 years old and 200-pound guy, and you made me cry. Oh, did I? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I did a, uh, I mean, this is, I'm not sure whether this says more about, about the performance or, or Brad's writing, but Brad read the off-camera lines for me for all of the video footage. Cause for Keller's Jewel lines? Yeah, because Jewel wasn't in there that day. And um, not that she didn't want to be, but she just literally just wasn't available. And, 
and I can't, we did, we're in the middle of one of them. I can't remember which one it was. And I looked up and, and, uh, and Brad is actually crying off camera. Wow. Um, so uh, either he's madly in love with his own work or, uh, or he was quite, or he was quite happy with the way it was going. But, uh, did you have yeah. to deliver the line? I love you to, to Brad. I, I, I think I did. I can't remember. I must've, cause he was there the whole time. So, and there always will be a, a special place in my heart for Brad. Right. So, yeah. you know, you know, there's obviously there was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was very emotional. Well, now for our podcast discussion, what I asked you to do is is go and get the episode, which I imagine you probably don't get to watch the finished episode a lot, and sit down and watch it, and, and let's talk about it from the point of view of a viewer. Yeah, well, I I, I got a uh, I got the sci-fi release version maybe a couple of days before you guys saw it, and then uh, of course had to laud that over everyone's heads by by mentioning it on Twitter. Uh-huh. I got much grief for that because everyone's like everyone was uh, was, uh, was was thought I was uh, perhaps being a bit of a jerk and that I was telling them that I've already seen it. <laughs> yeah, so I got, I got a copy of it. Sat down. We Jane and I both watched it. We sat down, and uh, I, yeah, I was I was very happy with it. I. I uh, yeah, I really can't critique my own stuff. I it's all cringeworthy to me, but mm-hmm. but I really like the way it came together. And as I say, the, I mean, the first thing I said when I when I watched the show was how how well I thought the the cast came together on that. Like everybody had neat things to do there, and all. And I think you know, I think really pulled off a good episode because of that. I mean, that's that again. That's 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 Brad Wright's writing. Brad is amazing at making a, a specific character centric episode into a, uh, an ensemble piece, you know? Yeah, I think you can really point to every single character and they've got just some really touching, really well, well delivered moments. Woolsey's got one when he's talking yeah. about his father. Yeah. And obviously there's, there's some really cool stuff for Ronan that Ronan gets to do. Yeah. Ronan actually gets some sort of like a emo- like gets some sort of big brother stuff there. Doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. My favorite little exchange in that whole episode, which is of course shows you where my head's at. But yeah, is the um, is the you could have shot it? <laughs> oh, no, you could have stepped on it. You could have stepped oh, on yeah. it instead of uh, instead of uh, shooting it at the end. I just I, that just cracked me up. Because again, the climax is great. I mean, that climax is so emotional. Even even just the the gunshot, the action beat at the end is was yeah. so emotional for me because you see the the little bugger start to move on the scanner. Yeah, great. And then, and then Keller turns and says, "Ronan, we're going to need that gun of yours in about ten seconds." Yeah. Uh, again, but that's he's so good at doing that, like sucking you into the emotional stuff, and then, and then, so when you get hit with the comedy and you get hit with the action and you get hit with the sci-fi, mm-hmm. it just it has that much more of an impact, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it's really smart. It was really you know it was and it was really nicely done, and Andy did a great job with the directing on it as well. I mean, it was just yeah. a uh, it, it all just came together really nicely. I'm going to say um, it because I know you're not going to say it, but your performance in this is is just Emmy worthy. I think it's the best work that I've ever seen you do. From the teaser at the very beginning to, you know, McKay being a nice guy, <laughs> there's so much in this and your, your ability to capture that, that loss of cognitive function and that sort of descent into the childlike state. I, I couldn't have been happier with how it turned out. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I, I really, it, it is, I, I've always found it very, very hard to judge my own stuff because you know yourself so well, you know when you're lying, you know, so uh, it, it's... It's very difficult, but um, you know, uh, I mean, the other—I um, got to say—the other standout performance in there is is, uh, is Kate. I mean, Kate did an amazing mm-hmm. job. The thing that you forget when you're seeing these things is that you know she's just been on a plane for you know six hours, arrives, is thrown into wardrobe, and then goes, "Okay, your brother's dying." Action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and to be because I mean I'm there all the time. I've seen these episodes. I see the episode coming up. I see a white draft. I see all the different drafts as they go along. I, 
you know, I'm, I'm sort of in the back of my mind, I get to sort of play with what I, what I hope I'm going to be able to do. I imagine it's kind of fun for you and your real life sister to play brother and sister on camera in these past episodes where they get they get to bicker and banter and then you know they have a sweet little moment at the end of McKay and Mrs. Miller in season mm. three. But in this episode, your brother is dying and you're playing against your real life brother. Yeah. In a story where he's terminally ill. So she was just basically trying not to giggle the whole time. Was know, she? The, she wasn't bawling. <laughs> the prospect of, of getting rid of her of her brother finally, I think, is probably like a great glee she took that on. Um, no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, she. Uh, it's funny. We had a discussion at one point because she she was worried about the crying because you know it. it the thing with acting is sometimes there's tears and sometimes there aren't. You know, like if we, when it comes to shooting a scene, sometimes it just it doesn't. You know, I mean, then there's tricks you can throw. You know, you can throw things in your eyes and all that kind of stuff to make them to make them water. But you know, I thought it was a beautiful combination of 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 not too much because there's basically you can go totally soap opera with that terminal illnesses and oh my god, we've got the last chance to say goodbye. I mean, it can be so melodramatic. Uh-huh. And again, I think this is Atlantis's strength. You know, there's that ability to go like, you're gonna drill me with an electric drill in a cave. You know, like it's. <laughs> There's like, of, of course it's ludicrous. It is ludicrous. What the hell? You know, mm. you know, and I love that sort of setup of the whole kind of like, well, you get to, for one last day, you get to, you know, you get to, you get to die like a hero. And it's like, screw that. I'll just stay here. Yeah. You know, I the just love episode, that. The whole episode was sort of fatalistic in that sense. It, yeah. If we get to, to make it to the cave and if we, if they let us go and if we get through the Wraith gauntlet, then... As soon as we get there, it's basically a big goodbye party, and then McKay's going to die. There's there's That's no it. hope for for rescue at the end. Yeah, I, I uh, it was yeah it was a neat uh, a neat setup. The other thing that was not in the script that creeped me out was at the very beginning of that thing where we're on the um, we're on the top of the of the gate. Mm-hmm. Did you see that little thing go by in the water? Yeah, that was awesome. That was totally – I don't know whether they, I mean, they must have put that in later or whether that was just something that floated by in the pond. I don't know that we were shooting no, it. because I mean, it, it looks like about the same size and shape that's as, it. as the, the parasite that comes out at the end. But that like totally creeped me out because I was totally not ready for that. And I just thought what a great way to add to add that sort of creepiness to yeah. the whole thing. And it's, apparently it's, it's, we're not supposed to believe that you know an actual full-size parasite – got into Rodney. It's, it's no. probably the, these organisms live on this planet and we're in the water and he got, he got infected with a little microscopic version of those things. Because his mouth was open whining the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the other ones were smart enough to keep their mouths shut. And his immune system was compromised. Oh, damn. Yeah, of course. You know. But that gate stuff on top of the gate was so cool. The, the light well, Jim, the fog and Jim the water and the, the visual effects spin around the gate. Yeah. Jim Menard uh, it was the was DOP on that, and uh, um, that's like nothing we've ever seen on Stargate before. Well, yeah, and he was like he was shooting like through like some kind of a snorkel camera through an aquarium. I mean, it was just it was an amazing setup. I mean, it was really a perfect example of all the sort of the smoke and mirrors and sort of deception that that um, that's required to make a to make a show. And it was very sort of a lot of practical effects as opposed to it was a digital for that part. And then of course tying in the digital stuff, I thought was just gorgeous as well. So. Mm-hmm. That was shot inside, wasn't it? Was was the yeah, literally in a in a tank? We had like a, uh, the top little portion of the of the gate sitting on a uh, on a on basically a ton of plastic, and they sort of hosed us down, and we sat on top of that, and then they shot through an aquarium type thing to get a sense of of, of the water. And there was I think there was another camera that I think was actually submerged in water, 
but what a setup. I mean, they just, it was, and then big reflectors to make the, it look like the water was rippling and all that kind of stuff. So it was quite an ingenious little lighting setup. And I, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was Jimmy who, Jim Menard who came up with that stuff. Um, and he was very happy because I think it saved him a lot of money as well. So he likes to remind people of that because it's usually good for jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, if you're in doubt, hire Jim Menard. That's, that's basically the, you know, what I'm saying. And he he did our he did dogs breakfast as well so that's uh, you know I have a, uh, I, I'm of course uh, very well aware of his talents so yeah. and we talked about a lot of the character moments how how all the characters in this in this piece really got to shine it seems like this is such a, a rich character drama a lot of it is about McKay's relationships it's about his relationship with John it's about his relationship with Jennifer and his relationship with even Ronan mm. in a strange way McKay is almost like the uh, you know the, the the chemical that causes the reactions if if that makes sense between the characters i mean you sort of add him to a scene and it it's, it's he's like the catalyst that brings out the, the a lot of this character stuff in people you know i mean he forces them to i think to either defend themselves or you know or reveal themselves basically you know he's such a sort of a grating character that uh, it's always kind of fun to watch what will happen when you mix him with another, you know, put him in, in, in the mix with another with another character. So mm-hmm. and and obviously the more the, the more different they are, the better. I mean, this, you know, Tracker is a great, a great example of the, the Ronan stuff as well, or where you get to you get to see the two of them sort of bouncing off each other mm-hmm. quite a bit as well. But, yeah, he's there's something about McKay. I mean, that the, the kind of he's the kind of character that brings out, you know, not necessarily the good, <laughs> But uh, he definitely he definitely elicits a response from anybody he's in a scene with, and I think that's what's kind of nice. And 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 what's and that also really really helps with a lot of the technical stuff as well because you've got the um, oil and water like <laughs> like uh, effect that, that that McKay has with the other characters. Yeah, he's got this cool kind of love hate brotherly relationship with John Shepard, and yeah, you know, yeah. to be totally honest, for the last four years, I've found that the the Rodney and and John relationship to be a little bit at arm's length. Mm. They they like each other and they respect each other, but it's been hard for me to see them really hanging out together a lot uh, well, until this episode. And you get you get this this really cool scene where where Rodney comes and bangs on his door, and then they go and sit on the pier and drink beer together and have a heart to heart. And you see how much John really cares for him. And it's and and as he you know as is sort of established there, it isn't something we do a lot. I mean, oh, no, we go for beer on the pier all the time, and we don't. I mean, that's not what we do. There's not, you know, we're both busy people. We've got things to do. We're, we're, they're such completely different characters, and they're in such completely different places in their, in their lives and stuff. I mean, I think the way I've always seen that relationship is almost like, uh, and I don't mean this in an age sense, but, but it's almost an older brother thing where I feel like McKay, McKay really wishes he was like Shepard. You know, I mean, he really in in the real. I mean, as I think most people do, they all want to be the cool guy who saves the day, and you know, and and somehow manages to look cool and cash while he's doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I, McKay's just not that. I think he likes the idea of being like that, but he's just not. And and yeah, that's who Rod was from the, exactly from the parallel exactly. universe in uh, McKay and Mrs. Miller. Yeah, exactly. Rod, definitely, you're going to see him hanging out with Shepard because there's no, you know, there's nothing. They're, they're of the same world, basically. Um, and certainly the same social scene, uh, you know, like they're, they're, the case is not going to be the same parties as Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think I think that is um, that's it's always been an interesting dynamic for me. And again, I think that's you know, it's one of the things I like about about the show is that there's just this great sort of this just huge change differences between between the characters. It's such a completely uh, dysfunctional family, basically, you know, so. Mm. 
Now, you know, as much as this is a McKay-centered episode, I think it's also a Keller episode. Yeah, yeah. She does, she does so much in this. And, Jewel State, and yeah. She's an amazing job. And there's so much... I mean, what, what I think the script does so well is there's so much that is left unsaid. There's, mm. there's so much in the delivery of, of lines like, you know, I'm not finished trying to save my patient. Yeah. Things like that. She really gets a lot to do, and I think she knocked it out of the park. She's fantastic. I mean, I, I, I mean, I just, I mean, she's just one of those actresses that just, uh, it's always a surprise. Like she's always, it's, it's so real that it surprises you that it's got this wonderful sort of quirkiness to it. I mean, you know, we just going back to the season six thing. I mean, that's what I miss is that we haven't had much time to, to see Robert Picardo and, and, um, and, and Jewel State really come into their own. I think that that's what I'll miss. Yeah. Those are two absolutely fantastic actors who, you know, you're going to see all over the place in other things, but but yeah, in this in this episode, I mean, she had a really difficult job in this episode because basically she was the only one who was. I mean, you sort of you know that we're going to the shrine. It's called the shrine. Yeah, but right. She, she has the unenviable uh, role of being the one who says, "No, no, we're not going." I totally I, understand the way where she's coming from, and and the fact that she's she's been raised and trained to think medically about crises like this and to try and come up with solutions and and what else can we do while it's before it's too late. And yeah, because the shrine has an almost a euthanasia type feel to it. That, that 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 you know, yes, you get one day, but then you're dead. Yeah. Um, and I think that's you and know. just like she says to him, then it's it's over. Do you understand that if you go, it's over? I can't do anything yeah. else. Yeah, and I think that's uh, again. I think you give that woman anything to do, and she's going to make it work. It's, she's always amazing to me. It's 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 and it's been such a pleasure having her around. And she's the other thing is that for all that sweet you know smart doctor stuff that you see on on camera, she is a wickedly. And I do mean wickedly funny uh, uh, person as well. I mean, she just, mm-hmm. my God, you know, we, we, we crack each other up, uh, you know, on a, we're like the Waldorf and Statler from the Muppets, the two old guys. <laughs> you know, we've always got something to say about about everything. So uh, it's always uh, pleasantly difficult having scenes with Jewel. And you get Kate in there as well, and it's even worse. You know, the three of us together and that stuff, it was very, very difficult to keep a straight face on a lot of this stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And especially when I'm supposed to be acting so, as mentally challenged as I as I was it, it of course led to uh, to much mockery so <laughs> uh, we'll come back to Keller in a minute but getting on on that topic how do you approach such a, a major major challenge as an actor as to playing somebody who is literally losing his mind who's who's becoming a child it was uh, I talked to I talked to um uh, to Andy and to and, and to um Brad about this before we we sort of went through you know, Brad was very good about making it very clear what stages were what and and was also very open to little things that I felt were, you know, when you start saying the lines, when you Ronan Dex is a great is a great name to say. Mm. So it became this sort of ongoing thing. I mean, I think it's I don't I don't know how much of it's actually made it in it, but there's definitely when McKay is more childlike, you know, he has so much fun saying Ronan Dex, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just little things like that. Yeah, I just keep it a couple of times. Yeah, just keeping track of where of where the the character was. That's the hardest thing, is just because you you know you never shoot these things in sequence. I mean, yeah, right. all of those all of those video pieces were shot in the span of about two or three hours um, with a splinter group. You know, after I'd done about a half a day of shooting, I mean, literally just came in, sat down, and just knocked knocked them off. And I think honestly, that was probably the best way to do it because the more mm-hmm. the Did more you, you think of those in order. Did we do those in order? Uh, yeah, I think we did. I think we did actually. Yeah, I don't actually remember to be honest. Mm. We must have. It's those little touches, like 
not looking people directly in the eye. Mm, yeah. You know, kind of your your head kind of listing from side to side as you're thinking about something, and syllables just sort of trailing off at the end and not not having a well, punctuated end. And I mean, I, I'm also I'm also very fortunate in that this is not a documented disease. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, uh, I wasn't, you know, confined to. I mean, it sounds sort of, it's a horrible thing to talk about, really. But I mean, I wasn't sort of. I didn't just have to be autistic. I didn't mm-hmm. just have to be. You know, um, um, Alzheimer's victim. I mean, I, I basically, yeah. basically, you could, you know, because of this, the nature of this thing, you could pick and choose what worked for for the um, for the scenes and stuff. But it was just the consistency was the hardest thing to work on, I think. And that's the stuff that Brad was really great, and and obviously Andy were really good about helping us helping me track that because. You know, you come rushing in and you've got to shoot a bunch of stuff and it's it's just great for them to be able to for, to have them there to say, OK, remember, you know, this is where you are in your head. This is the these are the things that are beginning to go wrong. You know, there's you know, it's very easy to fall back on the McKayisms during scenes. And it was great to have you know, Brad to say, hey, remember, remember, he's a nice guy now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's not going to be snappy like that. He's going to be, you know, so that that was the kind of stuff that was uh, that was was very, very useful for that. But honestly, I think I'm my my way of working on these things is always just to I just I, in a way in a strange way I think I think a lot of it you just have to leave up to, to to happy accidents you know like what happens on the day when you're shooting it you know because you can plan and plan all the little things you want to do and all the little moves you want to do after this line and that line and all that kind of stuff but I mm-hmm. think the reality is the stuff that I like watching and the actors that I that I admire. Uh, it's just like an openness to whatever's happening around you. And if you, something distract, what was great about it was that if something distracted you, look, I spent half the scenes looking at the boom mm. and it was so much fun because normally in a scene, you've, you've got to ignore the boom. Yeah. You have to ignore it. You know? And so, you know, one of the things that distracted me was the boom. And so I would just watch the boom during the scene, you know? Um, and, it, and it was that kind of stuff that you could have fun with because it's very, again, he, he becomes a child and you look at, I mean, I watch my son and, and, you know, God, that, that kid can, that kid can watch a fan for hours. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, yeah. It, my son pr- went out in a restaurant last night. Oh yeah. Well, they love the fans. Oh my God. They love the fan. That's it's, you know, and you, and you turn the light on and that's, that's your practically, it's Disneyland right there. Yeah. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I'm thinking about telling him that that is Disneyland because it'd be a lot cheaper. <laughs> But that was the kind of stuff. It was really, uh, it was really, really fun. I mean, and this is, you know, when we talk about going off and doing movies and stuff, this is the stuff I really look forward to doing in a movie fashion because you got to keep in mind that, you know, while the shrine is this fantastic acting piece and it's such a, you know, it's it's so important to get it right and all that kind of stuff. You've also been shooting up until then, and the moment that episode ends, you will start another one, mm-hmm. and sometimes that'll happen in the week. So all the time, you've got to be kind of keeping track of making sure that you've got the energy to to maintain not just for the episode, but for the season, mm-hmm. you know, like if you wipe yourself out in an episode, you're, you're screwed for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Cause you just, you can't, you can't get it back. So that's why that's one of the things I'm looking forward to about the, the prospect of possibly going off and, and doing films is having time to actually, yeah. you know, completely envelop yourself in this stuff. But surprisingly with the shrine, it never felt rushed. I really, really appreciate the fact that Brad and, and Andy, uh, made that possible, you know, that, that, it, that unlike a lot of episodes where you know you're under the gun, you know you've got to get your 12-hour day or 13-hour day or whatever it works out to be, you know, it, they, it never felt that way to me, uh, that episode. I don't remember, I don't remember that. I, don't, I never remember moving on without, without at least being asked whether I was happy with it, you know? Yeah. Did it, did it take its toll on you in terms of your energy or your emotional output? Well, see, the weird thing is that episode was actually probably easier in some ways than many of the other ones because I didn't have that much to say. 
You know, uh, you I had a lot of yell everything. Exactly. I had a lot of I had a lot of acting to do, but I didn't really have a lot of lines to learn. So, you, you know, that stuff is just uh, it's such a it's a lot of fun being able to do that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Not having to worry about explaining it all later. <laughs> you know, honestly, I think the hardest episodes I have that I find are the ones are the ones where I where I have just, you know, when I have an awful lot of dialogue, it's the one that's the hardest because, you know, sometimes you the performance has to give way to just getting the lines right. So, yeah. Well, back to Keller. This mm. the Keller McKay relationship. Uh, we get a little hint in season four's trio that that maybe she likes him. She's asking him about his his ex girlfriend and what happened. Right, right. She's asking him out for a beer, and then we see at in the season four finale in the Last Man, we see that in this altered timeline that that never comes to pass that they got right. together. They were a couple up until her fatal sad demise. So there's been kind of the slow build in the in these first six episodes of season five, and there's a major turning point or a major a major milestone in the shrine where he tells her that he loves her and he has loved her for some time now. Yeah, I, I feel like Keller is Keller is his like first grown up relationship. You know what yeah. I mean? Where it's not just an all out crush or a, you know it's you know he's incredibly awkward with her as as usual, but there's something comfortable about that relationship i mean it it does it feels like a relationship it doesn't feel like a crush it doesn't feel like dating it feels like there's no it they, they don't talk work like they don't there's not he doesn't feel like he's got to prove himself or you know it, there's this weird kind of sense of it's almost like they were friends and then they you know well that's exactly what happened I suppose friends then become lovers but it it's also I think it's kind of an interesting thing because it, it, the the reality behind it is if we hook up, we are basically falling into the pattern that leads to the destruction of everything. You what know what I mean? mean by that? Well, the basis that – I mean that whole thing about Last Man was that there are things that happen that come to pass that oh, lead yeah. to the destruction of, of Atlantis. I always think in the back of my mind – obviously I you can't play it, but in the back of my mind I keep thinking that – Everything that happens uh, that eventually happened in that parallel universe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's discussion. I, there's an episode uh, coming up where I mention in passing about joining the, you know, going off and and and, and doing something different. I mean, going, basically joining the private sector. And I, ca- I couldn't help thinking, getting a little bit of a shudder because I thought like, oh, no, that's like if I do that and I go off with her, then these things are going to I'm scared these things are going to come to pass type thing. So. You know, maybe I'm looking too much into it, but there was, I, I think there's something kind of wonderfully, something wonderfully doomed about the relationship, if that makes sense. You know what McKay I mean? McKay doesn't know, though. I think we got the impression in, I think it was in early on in the seed where mm. Shepard says he's got a line. Oh, yeah, no, he that, has that no wasn't idea. The weirdest, that wasn't the weirdest thing about that timeline. Yeah. And Kelly he has and no idea. look at each other and, and it's like, he, Shepard hasn't told them that part. Yeah. Yeah, he. I mean, McKay has no idea. It's just I'm just talking as the actor. Yeah. You know, I just I I find that neat because I I always feel like you know, how many things have to sort of sync up to make it you know to make for that for that reality to come to pass. You yeah. know. So. Well, now I thought that it was primarily about Taylor and the fact that Michael yes. had gotten his hands on Taylor's baby totally. and had, had gotten to perfect his hybrids and and basically dominate the race. Right. Um, you really think? Yeah. That, I mean, that McKay and Keller are doomed. I, well, there's something. I mean, this. I, I I feel like any relationship McKay's involved in is going to be doomed to some extent. I you know I just you know he's going to do something wrong. Oh. I, uh, I really something, want him to have a happy ending. No, I do, and I and I think I think you. Well, I mean, you'll, and you'll you'll and there's definitely there's definitely some more closure, close to closest to closer to closure, should I say, as as we move through the season. But um, 
Yeah, it's almost like a, it's almost me being superstitious, if that makes sense. My my feeling about the way things, you know, the, the way that this is that this is somehow doomed. It's funny, I guess. Maybe it's just maybe I'm just being uh, uh, sort of influenced by the fact that we've already shot a disastrous ending to it. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. And it's the same issue that I had with um, with Amanda when Amanda you was. You mean in you mean in the Last Man, not in something that we haven't seen. No, in the Last Man, in the Last Man, yeah. yeah. It was the same thing that Amanda kept on reminding me about, which was like, you know, I don't know that. I was like, well, yes, you do. We had that. Oh, damn it, you were imaginary, right? Of course. <laughs> so I think I just get, uh, I think I just get caught up in these things too much and start being uh, uh, a little too, uh, a little too emotionally heightened at times. This is the f- this is the first time that I think Stargate has really done a full on relationship arc between two main <laughs> characters. The the Sam and Jack stuff in SG One never really got terribly explicit other than mm. in, in in a season four episode divide and conquer jack is forced under extreme yeah. circumstances to uh, confess that i care about her a lot more than i'm supposed to that's right. as far as i got we never got an i love you uh, yeah like we did here and so you kind of feel you're used to the way that relationships are told on television and you kind of fear that well they're building it up because there's inevitably has to be a crisis and there has to be a breakup or something there's a, it's an office romance. I mean, it really is. It does feel like a, like a, in a strange way. I love how, yeah. you know, how it, it's just kind of like something that happens at work. You know what I mean? And I, I think that, you know, that, you know, that's what happens around the world all the time. You know, people meet people at work and they fall in love and they, you know, get together and have kids and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's definitely a possibility for, for these guys. But again, McKay, I, I can't see McKay sitting still. He's gonna, you know, he's always gonna want to be involved in 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 something that, you know, it's, it's gonna have an impact on the universe in some way, shape, or form. I don't think the world is enough for him. I don't think kids are gonna be enough trouble for him. <laughs> Although God knows he should know. <laughs> I just want to say, you know, David Reed and I often talk about the music in the episode, mm-hmm. Joel Goldsmith's wonderful scores. He's he amazing, was, especially uh, David Reed's a huge score fan. Um, yeah. So I kind of I've started to pay attention a little more. And the score in this one, I think, is is just amazing in that yeah. there's so little of it. It's really minimalist, and then there's these these haunting little little musical transitions. Well, he's just got this amazing ability to know when to lead you and when to follow you. If that makes sense, you know, yeah. like the score either brings you into this, either either it, it, it the score is what dictates where you where we want you to go with the scene, or it, or it just heightens what's already there. And I think. He's just really good at finding those moments, and and I think the sign of someone who's good at what they do is is someone who knows when not to score. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? when, and I think when to leave well enough alone. Yeah, sometimes those silences are better than are, are better than anything you could write. And I, I I think he's consistently. I mean, one of the jokes we have on on set is you know if we're staggering around a, a, a you know a spaceship in a decaying orbit and feeling a bit silly about it then we often we often joke about the fact well it's all right you know once Joel, once Joel gets his music in there we're not going to look like such idiots <laughs> and it's amazing it really does make a huge difference i mean it really is it's it's uh, it was one of the things that i was most surprised about when when i made my film was that was the how you know how much of an impact the score has on on the end result so you know looking at the shrine overall i've got to say this is my favorite episode of Stargate Atlantis so far. Uh, oh, good. 80, good. 86 episodes, I think, now. My my favorite episode before was Be All My Sins Remembered, just because there's so much payoff and so much action and the visual yeah. effects and, and just love Fran. Um, yeah. This is a very different kind of episode. It's it's slow and it's it's a character drama, but Stargate, when, when it does character dramas, especially when it has Brad Wright, it, mm. Stargate does character dramas so well. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I mean, I, people always just say, you know, what's your favorite episode? And I, I just there's so many different favorite episodes because of the different types of episode. I mean, you know, there's always, you know, it's science fiction. There's always got to be that angle on it, obviously. Yeah. But I think it is really nice every so often to sort of slow down and explore the characters as, uh, you know, along with, you know, the universe. You know, I think that uh, I, I would not, you know, I don't, I don't think you can do these every week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, you can't do the shrine every week. It's not, it's not, that's not what Stargate is, you know? Yeah. But I think that. I think you're right. Because of that mix, the, the mix is the mix is so important and so hard. And I think that, you know, I mean, Brad is just amazing at that. I mean, that's he somehow manages to weave this the sci-fi, the required sci-fi content with basically a story, you know, about getting old and dying. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's in any other episode, this would be someone's father or or grandfather or you know what I mean? Like, and they would be, and we would watch that you know, watch what happens to them. And, and obviously you'd, you'd grieve with them about that. Um, and in this one, you know, he, he, he somehow managed to turn it around in such a way that it works in the world that we've created. And, and I think I've never been a big fan of, of McKay centric episodes because I don't feel that McKay is Stargate. You know what I mean? I think really? McKay, McKay is a part of Stargate, but he's not what Stargate's about. I mean, Stargate is not about angry nerds. It's about, you know, it's, a, it's about... Maybe, maybe for the next few weeks after the cancellation notice it is. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, and good for them. Um, I, but, I, but I think, you know, it's, it's um, you know, I, I'm, I'm obviously I'm referring to McKay, McKay as the angry nerd. But you can focus too much on McKay. It's not McKay's show. This is a, this is an, an ensemble show. And I, I think that, uh, again, the reason why... And I was a bit worried when I heard originally what the story was because it sounded like it was all about McKay. Mm-hmm. But it's not all about McKay. It's about how the rest of the crew reacts to this. Exactly. And that's that's where the story is. I mean, I just you know, I just got to fall apart. They had to actually watch it happen and, and, and have that wonderful powerlessness, you know, have that, that powerless feeling of, of, of not being able to do anything for it. So I, I, that's, that's what the episode is. I think you're exactly right. It's, it's about the powerlessness and the fact that everybody wants to act, but there's this disagreement over, over what the action should be. And these are things that people face all the time. I mean, there's nothing science fiction about having to deal with that kind of stuff. I mean, that's the big elephant in the room is that we're all going to die in some way, shape or form at some point. And we still, as a race, haven't, as a human race, have not figured out how to deal with that. And that's why these stories, are, I think, ring so true, is that, is that this is stuff that we put off and, and try not to think about. And, and I think there's some wonderful sort of insights, I think, into the way people deal with grief and, and, and loss and stuff. And, and, uh, and it's strangely, you know, it's, it's a great episode to be talking about, given the grief and loss, you know, of the last, yeah. of the last of the recent announcement. I mean, it is, you know, a bit like that. I think it's, it's sort of fortuitous that this is the one and that we got the chance to do this. So. Absolutely. It's, it's fortuitous that this was the one that aired right after the cancellation announcement yeah. because it is my favorite episode of Stargate Atlantis and it is oh, so, so touching and so poignant. And I think it, it really demonstrates the strength of, of the characters and the strength of the show, hopefully going on to, to much, much more in the future. Oh, thank you so much, and 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 thank you so much for letting me, uh, you know, for inviting me to talk about it because it was, uh, it's it's really nice to relive those things. It's nice to lo- it's nice to look back on those things, especially with things drawing to a close. It's nice to look back and enjoy, you know, what you've done. Listener mail. Our thanks to David Hewlett for joining the Gate World podcast for this week's discussion of the Shrine. David Reed and I are now going to jump into the Gate World listener mailbag. Last week, in keeping with our theme of Rodney McKay and the Shrine and 
guest host David Hewlett, we asked you guys to tell us what makes Rodney McKay such a great character. David, who's our first contributor? Our first contributor is Dimbo Sama. McKay is by far the best character on Atlantis. He's the cocky underdog who masks all his shortcomings with scientific feats of brilliance. He's completely dismissive of anyone else and anyone's point of view, which I find hilarious. Critter wrote in and said, To me, McKay represents the geek as hero. With all his fears, foibles, and shortcomings, he still manages to be brave and saves the day more often than not. Star Saber says, The reason I like McKay is that I see a lot of myself in him. It seems to me that his arrogance is his way of disguising his insecurity. I don't have his ego, but I'm fairly intelligent and quite awkward in social situations, so I feel like I'm able to understand him fairly well. And Wolfen M. writes, McKay is complicated. I like complicated. I like imperfect. I like characters who try to do the right thing, but don't always succeed. I like characters with pain they hide beneath venomous spines. I love watching other characters slip past those spines, especially when they do it accidentally and are surprised at the vulnerability they find beneath. We also have a couple of voicemails on the GateWorld podcast hotline in answer to this week's Rodney McKay question. Let's listen to those. Hello, this is Allison from Florida, and I wanted to respond to the listener question. I like Rodney because he makes me laugh, and I have always loved the nerdy guys, and Rodney is the king of the nerds. I also love how his character has developed throughout the series. Hi, this is Lincoln from Texas, and I was calling about your question on the last podcast on what makes Rodney a great character. Uh, I think he's a great character because he's so complex. At first, his arrogance kind of hits you like a wall, you know, effectively keeping the insecurities behind it. And then, like when you go to the, in the shrine, the shrine enables you to, as a viewer to look over this wall and see beyond the arrogance, which is so overpowering sometimes. We saw how he truly relies on John, his trust in Taylor and Ronan, and his feelings for and his confidence in Jennifer when he allows her to operate on him. Really enjoy all the podcast. Keep them up. And, again, that's what I think makes Rodney such a great character. He's extremely engaging. David, how about you? What do you think makes McKay a great, watchable character? I like his energy. And I think that uh, that he adds, obviously, the necessary exposition uh, that this that this show demands. Yeah. At times, it gets a little tiresome. I'm okay with admitting. It sometimes seems like he's the only one in the group that is just absolutely freaking out about the current situation, and he's always freaking out all the time. And that gets kind of tiring after a while. Yeah. But I, I high stress to watch. Yeah, and all the time, you know, he's never he's never off. But in the moments that he is off, like with this past week's episode, the shrine, you know, I adore those moments as well. You know, I enjoy when he steps aside and uh, bears his humanity to us. I think that that's um, that's one of the reasons that I enjoy watching. I don't watch for the exposition. I don't enjoy watching for all the the techno babble. I enjoy watching when these characters are disarmed and when uh, we see their humanity in these fantastic, fanciful sci-fi scenarios. With the major breaking news of Stargate Atlantis's cancellation, we also have a few voicemails on that very important topic. Let's listen to those. Hey, uh, my name is Jerry from the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. Kind of upset uh, seeing the cancellation of Stargate Atlantis. Granted, it will be in the movie form, but uh, having one movie compared to 20 
three episodes a year is kind of it's not as uh, optimal as I would like to, but uh, I will have to do with it. Thank you. This is John calling from Hollywood, California. Uh, very disappointed in the news that Stargate Atlantis has been canceled. It uh, was the high point in my uh, viewing week of television. Uh, not that I watch that much anymore. I just think it's uh, a mistake to have canceled the show. Bad day for me on this uh, news. Hey, this is Scott from Springfield, Missouri. Concerning the cancellation of Stargate Atlantis, I was kind of surprised at first, a bit of a punch in the stomach, but uh, even though it is my favorite show on TV right now, I'm able to see the good in it. After all, Stargate will continue in movie form, so Atlantis is going to be bigger than ever with a larger budget and hopefully more care pumped into it. You know, I'll get a new TV series, so that's great. We'll have two ongoing film series and a new TV series. So I'd like to think that this is hopefully the start of a uh, possible golden age for Stargate. If you look hard enough at the ashes, you might see a little phoenix coming out. We'll have more of your voicemails on Stargate Atlantis, Stargate Universe, and the state of the Stargate franchise in next week's podcast. So this week's listener question is, how do you feel about the cancellation of Stargate Atlantis, the decision to continue the show with TV movies, and the announcement of Stargate Universe? We are devoting next week's show entirely to this topic and the state of the franchise, so call the hotline now and we'll play more of your responses next week. So that's our show for September 2nd. On September 9th, Atlantis is back with Whispers, episode number 7 of the current season. And then in our September 16th show, we'll talk about The Queen. David, any final thoughts before we sign off today? Well, it looks like we have an awfully busy schedule coming up in the next few weeks, and I uh, hope that people continue to tune in because I have a good time flapping my lips, frankly. Yep, I think with the big news and the possibility of getting in some special guests like we had David Hewlett today, hopefully the podcast is about to get more exciting. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you have an answer to this week's listener question about the future of the Stargate franchise, or if you just want to talk about anything else Stargate-related. Give us a call at the hotline, 616-712-1647. You can also post on the podcast feedback thread. Our thanks again to David Hewlett for joining us to talk about the Shrine today. We also got to talk a little bit about the cancellation of Atlantis and the green light for Stargate Universe, which of course will be our main topic next week. For links to everything we talked about today, look for the episode number 8 show notes. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. I'm David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast. Call the GateWorld Podcast hotline now to record your feedback, questions, and opinions about Stargate. Just dial 616-712-1647 and leave a voicemail anytime, day or night. Call 616 712 1647. Long distance rates apply.